My name is Yasmeen Tarehi, and this is Startup Confessionals, where we interview startup founders and entrepreneurs in the Middle East and Africa. We'll learn about some of the biggest lessons these founders discovered on their journey from the personal to the professional and share how they keep themselves motivated. Today's episode is with Halima Iqbal, the CEO and founder of Oran, a financial company that helps women across financial services. Halima was a former investment banker and consultant with eight years of experience. She moved back to Pakistan in 2017 after a decade in North America with a drive to make finance inclusive and simple for underserved millions. She's the only female executive in the Pakistan Fintech Association, and I'm just so excited to welcome her to the show. So welcome, Halima. Thank you so much, Yasmin, for having me. So Halima, I was just so uh, taken by your product and the company that you've built. So I'd love for you to share your value proposition in your own words with our audience. Absolutely. So Uran is Pakistan's first women-led, women-first financial technology company. What we provide is financial access to um, especially women um, and build towards their financial mobility as they um, understand finance better, get access to finance better, and just find ways to be financially free. Amazing. And what is your flagship product? I poked around on your site um, and I found uh, the product committees. I'd love Mm -hmm. for you to talk to us about how does it work if I was to go into the the product today? um, Can you walk me through the the experience? Absolutely. So what we do is we've taken a hyper-local informal tool called Roskas, and it's um, commonly known as committees in Pakistan and digitize that. So um, a woman would come in, she would get verified based on the information that she can provide us and tell us what she needs in terms of the finances um, in um, from a financial perspective. So it could be a five-month tenure or a 10-month tenure she's looking for, for like $50 per month to raise about 500 bucks um, in a 10-month cycle. She then starts paying in to those committees um, according to the more that she's comfortable with. So we don't put any kind of um, hard rules around, hey, you can only pay us through our digital t- transactions. Um, so whatever she's comfortable with at this point, she'll start paying, will build her financial identity. And this is the first time in Pakistan a woman is building her financial identity. And at the time of her payout, uh, which is when she's getting access to the capital, we open her bank account and give her access to um, a debit card as well, which is attached to her debit uh, to her wallet. Wow. Amazing. And what kind of person signs up for your product? I'm curious, like, do you have an understanding of, of what that uh, persona looks like? And how are you able to also, um, you know, encourage women who might be very new to this space to try out your product? So um, our primary user is anyone who's 24 to 38 year old woman uh, living in tier one cities. She's aspirational. She's a hustler. She's slightly digitally savvy. Um, And what she's really looking for is that autonomy, agency, and authority over finances. What she has seen, because this product is so culturally, religiously, and socially acceptable in the informal market, she's seen her grand 
grandmother do it. She's seen her mother do it. Um, so for her to understand uh, this product is very easy and there's no intra-household bargain around it as well. So when she comes in and she sees that um, um, product digital, it's easier for her to uptake it. But what's also interesting, the way we distribute this product, one of the things that we realized in our journey was women want that sense of belonging. They're always finding different parts, different kinds of communities to be part of. And that's really what we started building first with that sense of belonging, that community sense around financial services. Um, and then introduce this product so it was easier for her to trust it and um, understand what she's getting herself into. I love that so much. And I'm super curious why you decided to tackle this industry. Why did you decide to create this product? And and I'm also curious how your journey from uh, moving to North America and then moving back to Pakistan may have inspired that. Yeah. Um, so for me, um, uh, I always wanted to come back home. I went to Canada for university and then worked there for, for a few years before deciding, you know what, I want to come back home home um, and see what that opportunity lies. Um, and this is this is late 2017, early 2018, when the tech ecosystem in Pakistan was extremely nascent. Um, and when I came here, I did not come back with an agenda, but of some personal experiences, um, one of them being uh, me being rejected um, by all large banks to open up a bank account on my agenda. Um, was frustrating enough for me to start uh, researching as to what is happening. I consider myself a slightly sophisticated financial product user, user. And when I was being rejected to open up a basic bank account, uh, I was like, what is happening for the large majority of the population? I want to understand this market and I want to be able to understand why isn't the ecosystem servicing half of this country's population. And to just give you a little bit of context, um, Pakistan is a population of 220 million. Half of us are women. Um, and financial inclusion, which is really just to open up a bank account in Pakistan right now, is sits at 7% for women. Um, so I started out on this journey to understand the, the, the mindsets of the formal economy and then went on to understand why the customers are also not trusting um, the, the banking systems and financial institutions. And that's really when I came across my um, co-founder. The reason why we took on this product was um, when we did our initial research, um, we found that 41% of the Pakistani population actually engages in this product informally, in some form or shape, right? Um, and that that number was large enough for us to say, okay, if such a massive population is already engaged in it, why recreate a behavior when you can optimize and create efficiency in this current behavior, digitize it, and then think about changing and bringing these people into a more sophisticated financial products. 
Um, and that's really where the hyper local aspect of this product comes in as well, right? Like everybody knows about it. It's culturally, religiously, socially acceptable. Um, so d- digitizing it made a lot of sense for us. Um, and then bringing, once the woman comes in, then changing her behavior to say, okay, this product serves a great short-term need, but what about the time when you want to be able to buy a house or when you want to be able to uh, do long-term investments and long-term savings, how are you, how are you thinking about it? Wow. I am so fascinated by this story and I want to also, if you feel comfortable sharing, like talk about like your growth, um, where you Mm -hmm. started with the first version of the product and how you built it versus where you are today. Like how did you, you know, did you put a marketing budget together Um, or was it like, there's, was there a lot of organic growth? Uh, Just walk Mm -hmm. us through that journey. So we actually started out with putting um, a digital uh, tool which allowed for people who were doing these Roscas on in, in the informal settings to have a better way to manage it first. So we were not touching anybody's money. We were not touching, we were not, we were just giving out a tool from a productivity perspective that, hey, you already do this. Why don't you use a digital tool to manage it in a more efficient way? What we very quickly started realizing that that tool did not provide a lot of um, 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 value to, to the user, but what the user was coming to us and asking us for Roscas. They were like, oh, hey, we've started trusting you. Why don't you give us a Rosca that we can take part in? And that's really where the product market fit starts coming in, um, where we're putting random people together. We're verifying each member that's coming in. We're putting them together, matchmaking them into these Roscas outside of their geographical and social networks um, to t- get access to financial services. Um, so it started with something very um, different and we pivoted very quickly and started realizing there's a market in this, there's an opportunity in this kind of a model and then started scaling it. What we have not done is um, done any kind of paid marketing. Everything has been very um, organic. What we do is the way we distribute the product is partner with your offline or online communities and identify an influencer there. What we also realize that um, women want, uh, it's, it's, it's a trust-based product, right? Um, and be people being able to share their stories bring in um, a lot of other users as they get um, inspired and as they start feeling empowered that, okay, if somebody else can do it, I can do it as well. And that's really the the word of mouth and referral kicks in and that that's how we bring in the users right now. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. And um, Hanima, I just want to define a term that you use because I actually don't know it and maybe I just didn't hear you correctly, but it's, you said Raska. Yeah, Roska, it's a rotating savings and credit association. It's the formal word for committees. Ah, got it. Okay, okay. Now that makes sense. I was like, maybe there's a synonym that I just haven't heard of before. Um, great. So uh, I want to also talk about what you think you may have sacrificed when starting this company. I think a lot of times founders um, are, are sort of uh, looked at just for their success, but not for their... 
uh, no, I was not going to say failures, but adversity or challenges or the conflicts that founders have to go through in order to hit product market fit and um, really have a sustainable, uh, profitable product. So can you talk to us about what it was like to to create the company behind the scenes? What was going on for you in terms of your personal life? And, and what did you feel like you had to sacrifice? And, and also, how do you deal with that kind of adversity? How do you kind of motivate yourself to get through it? Absolutely. I think um, entrepreneurship is a very lonely journey. Um, and unfortunately, that's not talked about enough. And in a market like Pakistan, at least, at least when we first started out, the um, ecosystem and the community was very, very nascent. We didn't have a lot of um, entrepreneurs to, to be able to share those stories as well, right? Like, how, what does it take to build in an emerging market? Um, we're one of the first few people. And what does it take to build an emerging market as a woman as well? Because um, that comes with its own set of challenges, especially in the financial technology space that we are operating in. Um, so it was it it has been it has been a very isolating, a very lonely journey, but also very very fulfilling and humbling. Um, especially the fundraising experiences of it, right? Like if you're the if you're the only one of the first few entrepreneurs, especially as a woman raising capital in a market where um, not a lot of precedents were set, uh, there's not a lot of not a lot of stories to hear from. Um, it gets really difficult. Um, but I think what keeps us going is the mission that you're on. When you come back after a really hard day and you hear a customer call you up and say that, hey, because of you, I was able to pay um, um, my kids' education. It's not because of it's actually them taking the first step and trusting us. But the fact that the platform is providing them that opportunity and value that they're able to take control of the financial futures, it just, everything starts put, uh, falling into place. And you're like, this is the reason why you keep on going. In terms of sacrifices, I think um, uh, there's not enough conversations around it. But as entrepreneurs, you're obviously giving up your social life, your personal life. You are always, always thinking about your business. So I've been guilty of sitting on dinner tables with my family um, and them trying to have conversations with me. And my mind has just been, hey, how do I get, how do I solve this problem? Right? <laughs> like, what is the next thing that I'm doing? Um, so yeah, it's 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 um, it's a very it's a very lonely journey. Um, there is there is, but I think at the end of the day, if you're solving for a problem that is you're obsessed with, it's worthwhile. Mm, wow, uh, that's so inspiring, Hadima. I want to talk a little bit about your fundraising journey because you spoke about that or alluded to it earlier. How did that kind of shift your priorities, you know, as you were moving through um, building more on the product roadmap and uh, towards growth? Like, how are you thinking about fundraising? And also, what advice would you give to other folks who might be interested in um, fundraising? I think um, I would not do, I would not build a company alone. Um, uh, having a co-founder is a massive privilege and I'm very lucky to have a co-founder um, who believes in the same mission, who is equally obsessed with the problem that we are solving for. And while I was focused on fundraising, she was focused on getting the business 
to getting keeping the business um, um, alive and afloat and doing all the right things, making sure that the product was functioning, making sure that the growth was being um, achieved. Um, and fundraising is is um, it's a very humbling experience, um, especially for for. If you look at the global landscape um, of the in the in the fintech space that we are in, only two point two percent of we see money has gone to women, only women led uh, companies. The numbers are really scary. Um, but to be on this journey and to be on this mission and say that okay, you know what? No matter what, we're gonna get there. There are investors who are going to back us. There are investors who are willing to solve for this problem as well. And we've been very lucky, especially early on, the kind of investors that we got, um, who eventually became the advisors as well, um, and they really believed in us and the problem that we were solving for. So I think it's a, it's important. Um, to to find the right fit um, in terms of whether it's your investors or advisors or your team, right? You got to find that right set of core people that share the same set of values because um, because you you will find money eventually if you're building a good business you will find money if there is growth there is traction money will attract you but you have to start becoming slightly more selective um and understanding how much money you want to too much money also creates too much pro- too many problems right so you have to be cognizant of that fact but finding the right people um who are going to back you especially when things go south right during covid we saw like everybody was panicking what is happening there's complete lockdowns across the world um and we were lucky enough to have the investors and um who helped us helped us strategize and and I think just that comfort that things this you're not alone in this um and things are going you will be able to figure it out just those those um um words and those that kind of a support is extremely important as you build the company. Wow. Okay, so and I'd love to talk about uh COVID and the pandemic and you talked about strategizing with um your investors about how to handle that. And I'm curious like what what was your thought process when it came to the pandemic and how did that affect your business and you know women coming onto the the platform and choosing your product? Yeah. Um so um I think one thing that worked really well for us was being proactive in our communication with the customers um and just reaching out to them not not from a product perspective but from a community perspective that hey we're here with you we are going through this with you um and we are in this for a long haul so just just to um give them that comfort um and being proactive with that communication really helped and what we started very interestingly started seeing was um women who had the ability to pay a little extra to help the community raise capital um they were coming forward and they were like you know what um we are we all together in this and because that strong sense of community that we had built beforehand really panned out and showed its strength during um these crises and what we also started seeing was a up uh, an increase in savings behavior so and that's 
through how we shifted and created a new product, which is a shorter term committee, um, and uh, which was really based on how are we allowing people to raise capital quickly so that they have some kind of an emergency fund, which can give them some kind of security if things are going down for themselves. So that's 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 something that we we saw very very quickly. But I think um, the initial days of the pandemic, everybody was extremely stressed. But I think just having that open communication channels, not just with the customers, but also with the investors and advisors as well, right? Like, what do we do? How do we how do we um, navigate this? And nobody really had an idea. Nobody had what would ha- nobody knew what would happen. But just that support that we all are together in this um, helped us um, keep calm and just moving forward. That's incredible. I'm so impressed when I hear uh, people's journeys through the the pandemic because a lot of businesses actually didn't make it right. And uh, I love I love that. And also just like the awareness piece, like also just keep being in front of the customer. Um, I heard I heard that was a great tactic, like rather than just going silent. Uh, so, Haima, can you uh, talk to us like how much? weight does technical knowledge contribute to the start of a tech company? For those, I think, who are non-technical, uh, who want to start a company, what would you share with them? Um, I think um, having an understanding of what kind of product you want to build is extremely important. Um, and having that resilience to put your foot down and say that, no, this is this is what works um working with the customer to get that product right and um understand what is that value you want to create for them is extremely important tech i believe is an enabler it's not the solution to all problems um and especially in markets like pakistan where um digital literacy is also not that high right so you have to make sure that you're building a, with the customer and understanding what the product value needs to be rather than just focusing on um extremely technical stuff because technical help and technical talent you will be able to find but what drives that mission and vision is something that needs to come from from the founders and from people who are willing to take that risk. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, for folks who want to get started in the tech space, like are there any books or places where you, you would suggest that they go check out? Um, I'm actually rereading this book right now called Hooked. Um, it's about um, what makes, well, how do you develop habit building products? And I would highly recommend people to read that. Um, but I think it's in, in your journey, um, there are different kinds of books that will come. The first book when I was getting on this journey, I was reading was zero to one. I keep on re- reading that <laughs> um, again and again. I think that, 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 that just puts things in perspective quite a bit. And how, how do you think about growing the business? How do you think about building the product? Um, you just learn so much from that book every time you read it. Wow, great. Yeah, I actually uh, have that book and uh, it's it, that philosophy is really important and even in my own product work. So I love that you recommended it. <laughs> uh, so Hanima, we are uh, coming at time, but I'd love to get a sense from you about what sort of things have surprised you the most on this journey and what would be your kind of main takeaway to the audience? Um, 
I think you gotta. I think as a as an entrepreneur, what has surprised me is how how much resilience it's required and how much resilience you have when you are obsessed with the problem. And I think one one thing that um, as we went on this journey and as we started understanding um, the customer better as well, just being fixated with the problem and not with the solution really helps in you figuring out what value you want to create for, for the customer that you want to solve for. I think that's extremely important. If you start becoming fixated with the solution or the idea that you have could potentially work with the customer, you're setting yourself up for failure. Um, And also failures are not bad. You learn from them, right? Um, But having that ability to say that, okay, this did not work, call, call it off quickly when things are not working rather than uh, dwelling on it is also extremely important Mm, Yeah, as an entrepreneur. That's great advice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Moving on, right? Just like kind of the failing fast, iterate, move on model. And uh, Hanima, I want to ask where people can find you if they want to learn more about you or learn more about your company. And also, are you guys expanding uh, beyond Pakistan or is it just Pakistan right now? The focus is Pakistan right now and I can be found on LinkedIn um, and also on Twitter. Not that I'm very active on Twitter, but uh, I do respond to messages there. So LinkedIn and Twitter would be the best way to reach me. Amazing. And one last question. When was the last time that you felt inspired and why? Um, Last time. I'm actually reading um, this book called Wanting. And I'm extremely inspired by the author's journey um, in just how honest as an entrepreneur he was um, to himself when things were going south for him. I think that's a critical part of um, entrepreneur's journey that we keep on forgetting because in venture-backed businesses, we're so focused on growth and just um, not necessarily always creating, forgetting that why we're on this journey and for him to recognize that and constantly remind um, himself why he was on the journey that he was on and when things started not making sense for him and um, raising his hand and asking for help um, is extremely important. Oh, I love that. And what's the author's name? It's by Luke Burgess. Luke Burgess. Okay, great. Yeah. I want to check that out too. <laughs> yeah. It's called The Power of a Mind. It's called Wanting the Power of Mind Desires in Everyday Life. Oh, love that title. Great. Amazing. Well, Halima, thank you so much for your time. I'm so impressed and inspired by what you're building. And I just think every woman in Pakistan should check you out. (laughs) So uh, thank you so much for creating this company and for being such a champion for women's financial health. So thank you for having me on this. Thank you. And for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening to Startup Confessionals.